Thank you, team. <clears throat> well, if you're joining us from home in the digital format, I suspect you can no longer see us. So what you can't see, if you've decided to stay with us, is I'm holding a book big enough to choke a mule. And even this book, which is the biggest one I could find, is still smaller than the Bible that was in the foyer of my friend's house when I was growing up. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that, but I want to first thank some people. I don't remember when our first service, our first digital service was, but it was, I think it was early March. And we decided that we were going to not be able to do church this week like many, many, many churches and businesses and companies around the country. And our production team pivoted and within two or three days had a digital offering for our church so that we could keep doing what God's called us to do. And if my math is correct, that's something like 47 services without interruption. And today's technical catastrophe, whatever it is that caused their video to go out, only makes me think, I'm so grateful for the work you've done for almost a complete year to help us be the church that God wants us to be. Things happen. Thank you for joining us, if by video or audio or whatever means it happens to be at this point. We're glad you're here. We're one church, no matter where you're watching from. Yeah, this book right here is um, smaller than the book that was in the foyer of my friend's home. They were orthodox. Um, I don't know what language the Bible was in. I was probably in second or third grade when I took a look at it, and I didn't recognize it. It might have been orthodox language, for all, for all I know. You know, Latin, most likely. The beautiful home, it was an immaculate home. They had a wonderful family, four children. Uh, one of my best friends was one of those four. They were very disciplined family. The house was so clean, and they were so warm. Wonderful home. Across the street, other friends of mine were Catholic. And in, in their foyer, I remember on a shelf or a, uh, or a stand of some sort, there was a statuette of Mary. There was a crucifix uh, with Jesus on it, which is uh, unique to the, to the Catholic faith. And they had a little porcelain, if I remember, representation of the Bible. And in my own home, I grew up Methodist, and I don't remember anything in particular in our foyer, which I'm sure I would if it was there, but I do remember multiple Bibles around the house. My dad had a black leather Bible with a zipper that went the whole way around. My mom had, uh, uh, I think, a New Living Translation, and my sister and I both had red Bibles that were given to us when we were confirmed as first graders in the Methodist church. I was unique setting where I happened to grow up, where there was some kind of a common faith, different religion, but some kind of some kind of common faith. Yeah. Okay. So, as I was saying, common faith in my neighborhood, for sure, that's unique. Uh, serving a common God, 
Yet, I could say that I don't remember anybody ever talking about it. I don't remember anybody talking about their faith. I don't remember anybody talking about their politics either. Nothing like that. that was, those were private, private matters. And everybody was uh, different in a sense. We were all suburban, for sure. But I remember that father was a construction worker, and that father was a business management type of a guy, and that mom was a nurse. And, and, if, you, and if you went to their homes, you would see uh, them, them making different types of food for dinner. Uh, and they had different ways of raising their children. There was one house we loved to go to because of the way they were raising their children, the way they gave away sweets and snacks just to, like crazy, you know, and we could, it, 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 was, it was different. They didn't talk about their faith much, and I'll tell you what, they, I never heard, never heard anybody say anything even remotely similar to this. God told me, da, da, da. Or I heard God say this. Or I was praying and I feel like God wants me to. But now if you've been in the church for the past 10, 15, 20 years, you've probably grown to some degree comfortable with those phrases and those thoughts. You may have had them yourself. But 25, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, my goodness, 50 years ago, in the 60s, in the 70s, in the 80s, unless you were charismatic, those kinds of thoughts, those kinds of words didn't come up. That was crazy talk. We're just a little bit more comfortable with the general idea that God speaks to us personally. That's a pretty charismatic idea, quite honestly. And if you step back, it's a little bit weird. It's a, it's a little maybe too familiar, isn't it? If you step back from it, I mean, just imagine you're at a little you're at a dinner party and someone walks in and says, you know, uh, I'm thinking about doing a, 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 some more community service and the reason I'm going to do it is because the, uh, the Pope called me and asked me to do it. Or Bill Gates called me and said he'd like me to give a little bit more charitably to some things. You would think, well, that's ridiculous. Bill Gates wouldn't call you. The president wouldn't call you. The pope wouldn't call you. Yet we're very comfortable saying, God asked me to do it. It's nuts. We should stop doing that. With the possible exception that throughout this entire Bible, this is a dictionary, by the way. I'm pretending it's a Bible. It's a big dictionary. This actually did sit in the foyer of somewhere in our house. Let's call it the Bible. The Bible is riddled with examples and stories and mentions of God speaking. And not just God speaking. People hearing God speaking. And not just people hearing God speaking. Not just prophets hearing God speaking, not just kings hearing God speaking, not just priests, people, regular people hearing God speaking. All through the entire Bible, it seems crazy, but it's real. It's very real. And my own video problems here. <clears throat> 
The scripture is saturated from beginning to end with God speaking and his people hearing. Let me read just a few examples for you. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, Let there be light, and there was light. There was nothing there, no matter with which to work. And he said, He spoke, Let there be light, and there was light. You can't see it, but for the last three weeks, I've been working on a corner up here in the unusable mezzanine space that we have, and I'm putting together a little office space for me to hang out and to study and to uh, rest and to work. And I can't tell you how great it would have been if I could have said, let there be shelves. (laughs) Let there be light fixtures. Let there be clean carpeting. That would have been phenomenal. But I couldn't do that. I had to work with what God has already created. What has already been created from what God has created and work and toil to make it something like what I would hope that it would be. God just speaks and things form. John picks up on this theme. One of Jesus' closest friends starts his gospel this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you keep reading in John, you'll know that he's talking about Jesus, and Jesus is being referred to by John as Word. That's a a sermon series in and of itself, but I want you just to catch this idea of speaking God, Jesus being the Word. Jesus goes on, or John goes on, to talk um, uh, more about an instance uh, where Jesus says this, if a man loves me, he will keep my word. Jesus did a lot of teaching. He did a lot of demonstrating of how life should be lived and what values we should take and who God is and, and who he is. And he said, those that trust me will live out my word, will take the words that Jesus, that God has spoken into me, he would say, if I were to paraphrase, he would say, and those words that come from God that I gave you, you should take them and keep them into your life. You can see this permeation of word and speech and language. Jesus goes further in John chapter 14. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Jesus is going to eventually depart. He's going to send the Spirit. And what is the Spirit going to do? It's going to remind you of the Word of God. It's going to remind you of him as the center of all things. It's going to remind you of Jesus and what he's taught. This spirit of God is going to remind you. The Holy Scriptures, Paul says to his young upstart Timothy, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All Scripture is, Paul says, God-breathed. The written words of God that we have, Paul says, are God-breathed. The same breath 
that brought all of creation into life is the same breath that inhabited those that were closest to him and closest to Jesus and formed words that have lived on in, throughout in antiquity up into our own lives. The word of God. The words of God, the speech, the thoughts, the ideas of God put into language from God through his son, through the spirit, into the written word. Listen to how David puts this in one of his Psalms, 19 in particular. And again, these are just a few of thousands of examples. Speaking of God's creation, David says, the heavens and the skies, day after day, pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. He says they use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. You've got the fa- God the Father speaking. You've got Jesus, the Son of God, speaking. You've got the Spirit of God speaking. You've got the people of God speaking. You've got the written Word of God speaking. You've got creation speaking. The Bible is riddled with the words and the speech and the language and the direction and the ideas of God being communicated. Young Samuel, Old Testament eventual prophet, Here's God calling to him, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel says, speak for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do something. He said, and Samuel heard. In the book of Acts, following uh, Jesus and, and, and narrating this idea and this story of the, the, the young church of Jesus taking root, Paul gets a vision that tells him to go to Macedonia. And all that were with him concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul had a dream. He saw a man. He heard a vision. And they attributed it to the words of God coming to them, calling them to go and do what? Spread those very words to those who hadn't heard it yet. All through the Bibles, God is speaking. Jesus is speaking. The words come through the Spirit. They're in the church. They're written. They're uh, put on our hearts and in our dreams. And we are called to go and speak those words ourselves. The creator and the sustainer of the cosmos. Catch this. The creator and the sustainer of the cosmos. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are personally communicative. God speaks. His people hear. God speaks. And people hear. The question we want to ask ourselves, which comes from the study that we're doing as a church right now in chapter three of Rooted is how does God speak to us? I hope you're following along, if not in some kind of a group that's processing that study. I think this is a pivotal time in our church. It's a pivotal time in every church as the church is a, is a bit tipped over and spread out and scattered and decentralized. That means every believer has to take even greater ownership for the words of God for the gospel, 
and have some way of articulating it and, and allowing others to hear from him themselves, those that have may have never heard from him before. And we have a great deal of confidence in this particular curriculum. You can go on the website. You can download the materials. And if you can't find your way into a group, which would be very good, you can follow along personally and be reminded of some very basic things and eventually have a tool that will help you include others that haven't yet found their way back to God. Chapter 3 asks this question, how does God speak to us? And that's a great question. Another good one is, how do we know if we've heard from God that it was God speaking to us? That's important. How important is that? Maybe just as important. What's great is both answers are the same. The answer to how did God speak to us is very similar to how do we know if it was God that spoke to us? Because it's very important to know if God has spoken to you. You don't have to go very, back, far, very, far, very far back in your memory banks to think of news stories of individuals or small groups of people who said they heard from God and went on to do very bad things. Am I wrong? No. It's a scary thing to hear somebody say, I've heard from God. Most of us are like, oh boy. Oh boy, this is going to be, right? Because we know from their very behavior on some level that they probably didn't hear from God. Now, if you heard from God, what should you do? You should do it. If you think you've heard from God, you should probably do it. So I don't really fault them for that. But the problem is, did they actually hear from God? In many cases, we can conclude they did not. How do we know if we've heard from God? Well, it's the same as how we hear from God. Here's what we know, that God speaks and his people hear. But this is where and how. It's at the humble, prayerful, faithful intersection of the Spirit of God and the written Word of God and the people of God. You really can't hear from God well, or maybe better said, you can hear from God the best at that intersection, that humble, faithful, prayerful intersection of the Spirit of God, the written Word of God, and the people of God. The Scriptures, the Spirit, and the saints, if you will. It is at that intersection we can have the most confidence of what God is saying. Let's talk it through a little bit. First of all, imagine that intersection. Move this out a little bit. Imagine that intersection. First of all, I describe it as a humble, faithful, prayerful place. If you're going to hear from God, uh, we take the example of, of Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 6. When he sees God high and lifted up, what does he do? What anybody would do if they had come into contact with God in any way or shape or form is we bow down because we know we don't deserve to be there. It is, a, it is a high privilege to be spoken to at all, to have the presence of God at all in your general vicinity, and we should fall to our knees and we should humbly realize he is king, I am not, he is holy, I am not, he speaks, I am challenged to be able to hear, I humbly, prayerfully, faithfully bow. Imagine an intersection three streams, three roads, three whatever, the, the Venn diagram, three circles overlapping right here at that humble space. 
One is the spirit of God. One is the scriptures, the written word of God. And one are the saints, the people of God. At that intersection is where God speaks traditionally and historically as we read about it in the scriptures, as we know about it from our history. Let's talk about the spirit. First of all, it's good to know that the spirit comes to the, a person by the direction and through faith in the son. Jesus says, the father is sending a spirit, the spirit to you to remind you of me. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, Jesus says, the spirit will come upon you. You will have power when the spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. I'm paraphrasing. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Power. We tend to think of power in very narrow terms as Westerners. Power means I have some sort of energy that enables me to do whatever I want to do. Enables me to reach the goals and the aspirations that I have set for myself. Enables me to protect myself. To win. The power that is given to us by the Spirit is the power to be a witness for Jesus. The power of the Spirit is enabling us to be like Jesus in this world. The power that the Spirit gives us is something that we cannot generate on our own and we would never think to do on our own because what we think to do on our own is to elevate ourselves, to save ourselves, to protect ourselves, and to dominate others. The Spirit of God empowers us to, like Jesus, lay our lives down to live at peace with those who are angry with us. The Spirit is given by Jesus for those who have trusted Jesus. The Spirit and the Son come from God. You cannot embrace one without the other. You can't have one without the other. When Jesus showed up, he said, the kingdom of heaven is near. And it is me. And he says, if you know me, you know the Father. We come into reconciliation with the Father through the Son. And when we are reconciled with the Father through the Son, we enjoy the presence of the Spirit in no other way do we take refuge in the Spirit but by faith in the Son. And the Spirit promises to carry on Jesus within his people. The Spirit is the breath of God, the empowering nature of God, the life of the church, the connector of all believers, the carrier of godly words and truth, the overlap of heaven and earth. Think of, think of the Spirit like a very familiar song that you know. First, imagine hearing an unfamiliar song. When you hear an unfamiliar song, do you mouth the words of that song? Nope. You don't know them. 
Do you, do you start to do you groove with the song? This is, this is what we call grooving right here. You see that? Yeah. Do you? Can you move? Can you, can you resonate with the unfamiliar? No, you cannot. Can you connect that song with nostalgic moments in your life, whether high or low, good or bad? No, you can't. But with a familiar song, you sing along with it. With a familiar song, you can, you can resonate with it. You can groove with it. You can feel it. With a familiar song, you can connect it with stuff of your past, the highs and the lows. That song has been with you through thick and thin. The Spirit of God is like a familiar song. When the Spirit of God is alive and well in the believer, he is familiar. We know the words. We can move to the music. He's familiar with our griefs and our joys. And we are connected with one another. When there is a familiar song and everybody knows the song, we can all resonate together. That is the Spirit. And it's that Spirit that wants to speak and remind us of Jesus and his words. The Spirit is also described to be like a dove. Doves are very gentle. They're actually very quiet. They're also very skittish. If you're kind of jumpy, If you aren't at peace, if you're not humbly at that intersection, if you're not wooing that dove, you're not wooing that spirit, it's very hard for the spirit to rest upon you. If your life is full of disobedience, that makes you very disquieted in your soul. Very hard for the spirit to resonate with you when you are out of sync with what God has called you to do. When you're running frantically all over the place, when you're stopping for five minutes and saying, I need to hear from you, Spirit of God, Spirit's, whoa, what's going on? We need to be at peace, humbly, faithful at the intersection so that the dove, the Spirit of God can rest and settle upon us and speak. And it's critical that we hear from the Spirit of God deep within our soul in ways that resonate and reflect the words of Jesus. And if you're trying to live the Christian life and you haven't heard from the Spirit of God, you're not in sync with the Spirit, you're not resonating with the Spirit, you're not hearing from the Spirit, you are not living a Christian life. A Christian life is not a a set of rules and codes and morals that we learn and then implement. There are codes, there are rules, there are directives. God does ask to do certain things, but the Christian life is a life of empowerment by a living being, a person, the Spirit of God that is directing and speaking and guiding your life every step of the way if we are humbly, faithfully, bowed down, receiving that Spirit. That is the Christian life. It is alive. It is vibrant and dynamic every second, every minute of the day. A prayerful, faithful sensitivity to the indwelling spirit of God is the first way, the first necessity, the first stream to hearing God. The next one is scripture. 
And if you're going to hear from Scripture, you first have to have a general idea of what it is, who it's to, who it's for, and what a purpose it has. If you approach the Bible, keep looking at the dictionary, if you approach the Bible, we're pretending, as something other than that, you will fail to hear from God the way God wants to speak to you. Just like if you approach any book the wrong way. If you're trying to figure out how to live your life and you decide to open up your, um, uh, your, your car manual, you might get a couple weird metaphorical tips about life from that. But it's not going to do a very good job. If you're trying to figure out how to run a marathon and you open up a book on uh, yoga, it's not going to help you much with regard to a marathon. I tell you what, you do a little yoga before you do a marathon. I'm guessing you ain't doing a marathon because if you just stop for a second, breathe, and think about running 26 miles in a row, you're just going to bail out on that altogether. So maybe it is helpful. Maybe a yoga book would be. You see my point. You, you got to approach the book the way the book is supposed to be approached, and you got to know what it is. couple simple questions. Who's the Bible to? Who's the Bible to? It's a little complicated. To a whole lots of people. I just said, it's to a whole lots of people. <laughs> if you missed that, it was written to a lot of people. Uh, the bulk of the Old Testament, if not all the Old Testament, was written to the nation of Israel. The gospel that Matthew wrote in the New Testament was to the Jews, the gospel that Luke wrote was to the Greeks. The letter of Philemon is to one guy, Philemon. And maybe it's important for you to understand that the Bible wasn't written to you. You weren't the object of any of those letters, any of those histories. It wasn't written to you. It was written for you. As part of all of humanity, the Bible was written for you. For what purpose? Is it a self-help book? Is it full of wise sayings, inspirational axioms? Yeah? Are they helpful? Mm-hmm. Is that what it's for? Something that teaches you the mechanics of life? No. It's much richer than that. The Bible is a real story. The Bible is a real narrative, a multifaceted, multi-genre record enabling all who read it to overhear the conversation between God and his people. The entire thing is a conversation that we can immerse ourselves in and hear the way of God, the language of God, the spirit of God, the direction, the aims, the goals, the heart of God, as we see it playing out with real people. It's a phenomenal artifact that we have. 
In a sense, you could say it's, it's as living as the Spirit of God, which inhabits those who wrote it and read it. It's relational. It's dialogue. It's words breathed into existence by God that show us how God talks to his people. A prayerful, faithful immersion, immersion in Scripture is the second place we must live if we want to hear from God and have any confidence that we've heard from him. A humble, faithful, prayerful posture in the context of the Spirit and an immersion in the Scripture, just like the Spirit, not a sporadic movement to and from the scriptures, trying to get some mechanical piece of advice that we need when we need it. It is to be breathed in and out of, to be absorbed and immersed, to become extremely familiar with it like an old song and all of these lyrics resonating in our heart with the resonation of the Spirit. And third, the people of God, the saints. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. There's a reason we have teams of people leading the church, teams of elders, a team of uh, a, a board that is a team, an executive team, an administrative team. It's the reason we ask you to be in small groups. We humbly bow our knee and prayerfully, faithfully acknowledge to God that I don't know best on my own. I am biased. I have been raised with particular biases. I have blind spots I've not been made aware of yet to individually, independently even if you are saturated in the scriptures and overcome by the Spirit of God outside of community, we understand as a faith community, it is not a complete understanding of God's words apart from the community of God speaking into it. When your community says, we think you should step with your right foot and you think you should step with your left foot, what do we do? Well, we turn to the Spirit. Again, we don't go in any one of these particular directions without the others. The thought is that the biblical community is also resonating with the Spirit, listening to the Spirit humbly, perpetually, continually, prayerfully, faithfully, immersing themselves in the Scriptures, and that they've been an immersion of your life. You know them well. They know you well. They know your blind spots. They know your strengths. They know they have an idea about where God has directed you in the past, and they can help you avoid all sorts of pitfalls. Baptism itself is a follow-on obedience from the person or the persons who have decided to trust Jesus. 
They put their faith in him. They've confessed with their mouth. They believe in their heart. They are saved. And Jesus says, now I want you to be baptized. And when we baptize, it's an outward expression of an inward change that we say among all sorts of other people, other believers. And what we're saying among other things in that baptism is, these are my people now. I listen to them. I defer to them. Not what the world is saying. Not what the leaders are saying, not what the CEOs are saying, not what the politicians are saying, not what my neighborhood is saying. It is this group of people, the followers of Jesus, those empowered by the Spirit, those immersed in the Scripture, are going to help me get through this life. And we're all living at that very intersection of those three things. Where is our trust when it comes to hearing God? Where is our trust when it comes to hearing God? It isn't in any one of those streams apart from the other. We don't say I've heard from God just because I've heard from God in the form of the Spirit. We don't say I've heard from God because these people said I should do this. We don't hear from God strictly because we read it in Scripture. We hear from God at the humble, prayerful, faithful intersection of all three of those things. And they will work together to give us our best understanding of hearing God. Again, we follow Isaiah's example. God is high and lifted up. And I am unworthy. I have unclean lips. I am insufficient in fully understanding God. He is too great for me, too vast for me to possibly totally understand. And so let me leave you with two cautions. I said that part of our posture is one of humility. Even at that intersection, when we have confirmation and affirmation from the Spirit, from the Scriptures and the saints, we start to move down the path of which God has directed us humbly, knowing I could still be wrong. I'm still human. My friends are still human. My reading of the Scriptures is still human. And my experience of the Spirit is still tainted by my humanness. I might be wrong. Look at the Bible, and you see three threads through the entire thing. It's a thread of mistrust, it's a thread of mercy, and it's a thread of maturation. Every character, every individual in the Bible is running through this cycle of trust and mistrust in God. We see this endless flow of mercy from God, and as a result of those two things, we see people maturing as God's people. And so are we. We're trying to trust God. We're trying to hear God, but we mishear him. We don't trust him. He shows us mercy again and again, and hopefully we continue to mature. When you hear from God, and we can hear from God, and we can be very confident that we've heard from God when we live humbly at that intersection, but even so, we have to go, well, (laughs) I might not have heard it fully. Sporadic listening for God, my second warning, is monumentally unreliable. Oh, uh, this is a big big decision right here. Let uh, Let me read the scriptures. Let me pray. Let me ask some people, and then we'll go on. Monumentally unreliable, even though you're at that intersection. Again, because God is asking for a posture of our heart continuously, perpetually in life. 
He says to be prayerful, how often? Continuously. So here's what I want you to imagine. You're at that intersection. You're humble. You're prayerful. You're faithful. Faithful in the sense of continuing to be in this space. Praying, hearing from the Spirit, immersing yourself in the dictionary. Scriptures. And listening to the saints. And you get up. And you move in the direction that you understand God has heard. I want you to imagine that intersection going with you. Don't leave that intersection behind. Move in that life, in that same posture, with those intersections, continuing to be immersed in Scripture, to continue to hear from the Spirit of God, to continue to engage with the the people of God, so that when you're moving down that thing, you can start to move, you can start to adapt. This is what God did with his people when he led them out of Egypt. They weren't lost. People think they were lost and wandering around the desert. In a sense, they were. But if you read it, God was telling them where to go every step of the way. He didn't say, go from here to there. Let me know when you show up. He said, learn to follow my voice. I'm whispering to you. And this is the spirit. Spirit says, I think you should turn. Yeah. The world is shouting at you. The world around is shouting. Everybody's shouting, this is what's right. This is the way we should go. This is what God wants. That's what God wants. Jesus believes in this way. No, he believes in that way. And the Spirit's going, no, nobody's listening to me. Nobody's immersed in the Scriptures. Take that intersection with you. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to thank those of you that are at home. Uh, whether you can see me or not, uh, whether you're doing this Sunday morning or watching it in the future, thank you so much for being a part of us. You are a part of this church. It's the beauty of the church. We can be scattered and still be one. Thank you for being a part of this. To hear well from God is an ongoing discipline of obedience, peace, that is resonating with the Spirit while we're immersed in Scripture and committed to biblical community speaking into our lives. It has been great to be with you. Thanks for coming and being here in person. And thank you so much for tuning in digitally. It's our pleasure to be together as a church like this. Amen.